Welcome to Sons of a Gun, a podcast about the DCU. I'm Alex Gunn. I'm Justin Gunn, the son of a gun. I'm Pete. Also last name Gunn. And as we've talked about many times on this podcast, we got a celebrity dad we can't talk about. But whoever he may be, we are going to talk about some recommendations, some required reading on this episode that has been prescribed by James Gunn. Dot, dot, dot. I think you question can. mark. Dad question. wants us to do our home homework and we have to do it. So here we are talking about some reading. So this is our second required reading episode. Go back and check out the first one. Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which is directly feeding into a movie. Now, the second one that we're going to be talking about right now is All Star Superman. This is written by Grant Morrison, art by Frank Quitely, colors by Jamie Grant, letters by Phil Balsman and Travis Lanham, edited by Brandon Montclair and Bob Schreck. This is a 12-issue series that ran from November 2005 through October 2008. Uh, A little bit of background on it. It actually, in some form, started as a pitch that was either called Superman Now or Superman 2000, however you will look at it. This was actually originally a pitch that was put together by Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Mark Millar, and Tom Payer. They had identified that Superman is essentially reinvented every 15 years. It had last been reinvented by John Byrne, and they wanted to do something bold, something now, something that felt like it was pushing Superman forward and reflecting the modern day. And the editors said no. We don't want to do this. (laughs) Yeah. This isn't a good idea. We're not interested. And Grant Morrison has talked about this. The team who eventually took over, I think it was Jeff Loeb, and I'm blanking on the artist's name, but uh, they felt like it was- Tim Sale. It was not Tim Sale. Great guess, though. Yeah. No, so they did Superman for All Seasons- Phenomenal yep. book. Absolutely. Really great. We should talk about reading. that sometime. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's not required reading. When dad says it, then we'll do it. But until okay. dad says it, we're All not right. doing it. Yeah. It's like, I don't take out the trash if dad doesn't tell me to take out the trash. Like, it just sits That's there. Right. It's your Best turn. Things. You should take it out. I you looked should. at the chore wheel. All right. Go look at the chore wheel on the fridge and see whose name it's pointing. Oh, it's mine. If you yeah. don't take it. <laughs> exactly. And Alex, if you don't take it out, Pete's going to cut a little hole in the bottom and make one of his garbage plates. Like a little <laughs> raccoon. <laughs> so, yes, uh, this team was fine with the team that took over, but they felt like it wasn't quite as bold as it could have been. And years later, Dan DiDio, who at the time was the, I believe, the editor in chief of DC. I think that was his title at the moment called up Grant Morrison, actually called up another team, called up Frank Miller first and said, hey, we want to start this line called the All-Star Line. That's going to be out of continuity stories. These are going to be definitive or bold takes on characters. And Frank Miller did the very controversial All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. Oh, man. I I would not say that's required reading, but it's certainly interesting reading. It's (laughs) crazy fun reading, though. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And the only other title to come out of this line was All-Star Superman, which is regarded as one of the best comic books of all time, which we'll talk about in a moment. At the time, it did win multiple Eisner Awards for Best New Series in 2006, Best Continuing Series in 2007 and 2009. And uh, yeah, it's it's had a huge impact on a lot of things. Uh, I'll get to you in a second, Pete, the last two things I want to mention. 
Oh yeah, what's up, Pete? I just wanted to say a qualifier when we were talking about the All Star, you know, Batman and Robin. I was thinking of the Green Lantern moment where they were all drinking lemonade and in a room full of yellow, messing with them. Not the other crazy shit that happened. So. Sorry. I don't even remember that at all. I don't know what you're talking about, but that sounds okay. amazing. I do remember that. I just don't remember all the what exactly the other fucked up stuff was. I remember it being like, is this a P thing they're doing with Green Lantern? And yes, I guess it was. It probably was. Well, anyway, this is very well regarded. The most specific ways that it's been taken into other media, there is an animated movie of All-Star Superman that you can check out with some great celebrity voices. And also, if you've seen Man of Steel, Jor-El's monologue from one of the issues here is almost taken word for word and thrown into Man of Steel. Uh, the They will find you in the sun. I'm definitely paraphrasing that wrong, but whatever that yeah. monologue is, <laughs> that's in there. So it's had a big impact. Um, we'll talk about a lot of other impacts here, and the biggest impact we're probably going to talk about or most relevant to our podcast at the end here, after we're done talking about the book, is James Gunn has specifically called this out, not just as one of the four books that they were really looking at for chapter one, Gods and Monsters, but also as something that is a specific inspiration for his movie, Superman Legacy, which he is going to be writing and directing. So again, we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast, but let's talk about the book first. Uh, Obviously, this has been impactful, but this is something that I've certainly thought about a lot, but I haven't read in years. I'm very curious to hear from you guys, though, on this more recent reading. How did it strike you? It It's just such an iconic and legendary run. I mean, Frank Whiteley's art, it it makes Superman look so human and so small at some times and so relatable. It's really, I mean, this team up was just such a uh, unbelievable pairing, like because Grant Morrison can get real crazy and can, uh, you know, do a lot. But I feel like this team really just kind of like honed Grant Morrison in such an unbelievable way. you know, I mean, he also did this oh, after. Sorry, just a quick note. I mentioned uh, Grant yeah. Morrison uses they, them they. pronouns. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, yeah. For anybody listening to the podcast, they, them. So there you go. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. Well, they uh, just had their father die. And so it was a very personal story. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it, it every time I read it, I get choked up. So this uh, rereading, I, I knew it was coming and it still couldn't stop it. It's uh, some really powerful, amazing stuff. It's a great look at what Superman is and what he can be and what he strives for. And just oh, just so many powerful panels and unbelievable just iconic shots. When I think of Superman, I kind of close my eyes and see some of these panels here. It's just uh, it's so legendary. Uh, for me, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when you hear that James Gunn's movie is Superman Legacy, like, and then he name checks this, like, it makes perfect sense. This is such a retrospective on who Superman is, what place he occupies in, like, all of our minds. By We can talk about the plot of it a little bit because it, it's about Superman himself taking stock of his life and his mark. 
Uh, so that, I think, makes for a great legacy movie. It makes for a movie that sort of can reset the timeline well, a little on, bit. buddy. We're going to talk about the movie right. at the end. Let's great, talk great, great. about the book first. Talk about the book, the book, the book. So uh, the book um, is going to be a great movie is what I was going to say. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Well, hold on. You did bring uh, up the plot, and I did forget to yeah. run through that. Wait, wait. What about the movie, though? Should we talk about the hold movie? Hold on, hold on. We're going to talk about the movie at the end. Now we're talking about the book, okay? Because it's required reading, not required. I'm excited for the movie. I don't know about Justin, but yeah. I'm, by the I'm way, I should mention it. I didn't actually read the book. I watched the animated movie, so that's the main thing that I'm going to be talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> no, go, go, go. I read the book. Um, I actually forgot I was planning on watching the animated movie, and I didn't check it out before the podcast. But anyway. The plot of this is that Superman is going to save some scientists who are checking out the sun. It's all a plot by <laughs> Lex Luthor to classic, long, classic long range kill Superman. What happens is that Superman's cells get supercharged with the solar radiation, so he becomes more powerful than ever before, but at the same time, he is very rapidly dying. So, over the course of this book, he spars with Lex. Lex is thrown into prison. He uh, lords it over him, so it's as much a message statement on Lex Luthor as it is on Superman, but Superman discovers he has to complete 12 labors, similar to Hercules, before he 12. dies. Mm, yeah, I don't know. We could probably oh, take it easy. Cut, cut him some slack, guys. I mean, the guy's dying. Come on. But as we've been talking about, just in terms of the structure of the book, almost there are some exceptions here, but almost every issue of the series is a different Superman adventure that ties into the overarching story and focuses on a different aspect of the Superman mythos. Yep. So you get to see Bizarro World over the course of two issues. That's the one that kind of breaks the formula there. You get yep. a Lois Lane-focused issue, a Jimmy Olsen-focused issue, one that focuses on Smallville, as well as the Superman squad. There's a lot of things in here that Grant Morrison loves to talk about. I remember the very specifically talking about this old Superman story where Superman got the power through red kryptonite. We talked about it with Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where Superman shoots tiny Superman's out of his hands and he, they love that and threw that into the book. So, so yeah, it's every aspect of the Superman mythology in one, one overlong story. It's all rooted in real Superman, early Superman ideas. And that, I think, is where you really see Grant Morrison shine Uh, because they they want they're just a fountain of ideas. And so to be able to find the grounding underneath and new ways to use all of these old Superman ideas is is amazing. And it it makes for its episodic nature makes for just like pure creativity. It's in a contained space, which, again, is Grant um, at their best. And the art play lets us really feel the um, sort of a new look at an old style of art. Uh, like Frank quietly's perfect. He has the old timey strongman uh, vibe for Superman, which I think is fits perfectly. And the way that you see Clark as this, you know, uh, slope shouldered uh, sort of clumsy goof. It, you never see this, this stark, a difference between Clark and Superman. And it really plays well. I think. Just to talk about that a little bit, because in the edition I read, I I don't know if it's in every edition, but there was some back matter with sketches from Frank Quitely talking specifically about this and talking about the acting that they wanted to try to get out through Superman and Clark Kent. It feels very similar. They didn't name check him at all, but it feels very similar to what Christopher Reeve did in the movies, just in terms of physically changing himself. There's that 
famous scene from Superman 2 where he's telling Lois that he's Superman and that I see on the internet all the time where it's literally just Christopher Reeve in camera transforming from like this tiny little shriveled man who is Clark Kent to straightening up his body and growing, taking off his glasses and suddenly Superman. No special effects, just Christopher Reeve acting. And you realize, oh, that's how it works. That's how people don't know that Clark Kent is Superman. And that's what Frank Quitely does here in terms of, I'm trying to remember the exact description, basically taking his spine and hunching it over so that his head is shoved into his body and then straightening him out and puffing out his chest when he's Superman. So there's two different people. But beyond that, what they tried to create in terms of the plot, and you see this play out a lot during the book, is that Superman isn't clumsy. He's pretending to be clumsy as Clark Kent. And anytime he is clumsy, he is using that to save some person in some way. That's great. Which is phenomenal just in terms of the body language and the acting that Frank quietly gets out there as we're talking about. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I'm glad you're all stunned by no, my words. No, I mean, yeah. I, I agree. Everything you're saying is very factual. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the old kind of Jackie Chan drunken master move where he's pretending okay. to be drunk, but he's very much in control and aware of his actions. You it's know? a great call. I would wonder if that actually is like what Grant was basing some of that on. It's such a smart brain. Great yeah. take, Pete. The other thing that this wasn't in the back matter, this is some interview that I read, which a little bit of a side note, very frustrating trying to research this because the way the comics Internet is now, most of the interviews for the time are just lost unless you go to like the Wayback Machine or somebody saved them. There was one thing, I'm hoping I still have the tab up, but there was this whole retrospective after they finished the series where Newsarama did a deep dive into every issue of All-Star Superman. All of that stuff is gone because Newsarama doesn't exist anymore. Like it's all in games radar or all of these other interviews are just missing. You know, I was able to find some of the stuff that you guys did at New York Comic Con where you're talking to Grant Morrison. But like a lot of the stuff just doesn't exist. I, I very specifically remember us talking to them about it like in a back quarter of San Diego Comic Con yeah. standing uh-huh. against a wall and trying to understand through Grant Morrison's Scottish accent exactly yep. what was going on, beyond the fact that Grant Morrison talks in these superlatives all the time. What were you going to say, Justin? Well, I was going to say superlatives, but also these like super high philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, like word choices and just like their brain works on a different space. Like, and so talking to us is sort of like bringing it back down to the inspiration, but it's way up in like Buddhist uh, <laughs> space. That well, we're trying so to... the two things I got a little far afield. The two things I was going to say is it's frustrating to not be able to read this stuff, though. If you dig kind of deep, you can find it. And one of the interviews that Grant Morrison gave, this was from one of the old Newsarama interviews, I believe, was about uh, thinking about Superman as three characters that you've got Clark Kent in Metropolis, who is this nerd who trips and falls, but really saves people. And that's an act. That's that's mm. one act. And then Superman, the way that Grant Morrison views him, is also an act, being the superhero who puts on a costume and goes out and saves the world. What Grant Morrison said, which I thought was really interesting, and I do think it plays out of this book, is the only the closest you get to a real person 
is Clark in Smallville. Smallville, yeah. Because yeah. that's where he grew up. That's where he was. That's where he is his true self when he is on the Kent farm interacting with his parents that know everything about him. So I don't know. You don't, think he, you don't think he chills out in the Fortress of Solitude? He can't kick back and be a real, real Kal-El over there? <laughs> I think probably he does, but we don't see that in this book. In this book, whenever he's in the Fortress, he's like, I got like these 18 robots and I got to solve uh, my untimely demise and I'm making Lois a super suit and I'm creating all of these things. So let's go. I guess he built a lot of coworkers that are just like bothering him in the Fortress mm-hmm. of Solitude. Who are like, hey, okay, su- hey, Superman, come do this. What about this? The Phantom I Zone mean, is acting up. For me, anytime you talk about great Superman stories, it uh, a lot of times comes back to the Lois relationship. And I think in this is a great example, like the fact where Lois gets to kind of be Superman for a little bit and really kind of see the world the way he does is just. So, so fantastic. And uh, I just, I love their relationship. It's, it's explored a lot and there's a lot of done with it. And I think it's, uh, it's very interesting and cool. So this is actually something not to get into something negative, but I did want to bring up and I appreciate what you're saying. I love the Lois and Superman relationship. It's beautiful. It's timeless. It's one of the best of the history of comics. I was surprised how second shift at best the female characters were in this book. I think the Lois issue is a really interesting one to me, and uh, maybe you guys have a totally different take on it, but in this issue, Lois, there's actually two issues that it kind of happens over. The first one, she goes to the Fortress of Solitude for her birthday, and they play it out like a horror story where she thinks, oh, no, it's almost this bluebeard thing. What's behind the door? Don't go into this door. Don't go into this room. She thinks something horrible is happening. She thinks Superman is going to kill her. She's going a little nuts about it. But ultimately, what Superman is doing is building her a super suit and making a formula so she can have powers for 24 hours. And right. the next issue is Lois has powers for 24 hours. She's like, wow, this is so exciting. I can be in Superman's world. But she doesn't really do anything the entire issue. Yeah. They get there in too fact, late. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say she becomes the object that all these men are just sort of uh, coveting and doesn't have any agency of her own. So, yeah. Yeah, so I was very surprised to see that. And then later on, we get a hyper-sexualized dominatrix character who is the niece of Lex Luthor, and her nickname is Nasty. She prefers to call be called Nasty. Mind you, very funny character and very fun in the book. But tying those two things together and that the only two other female characters really are Cat Grant, who mostly stands there and is like, oh, I'm above all this as a joke. And then Ma Kent, who mostly doesn't play into it too much. Pa Kent is way more important. It was a weird thread through the thing that kept jumping out at me. Am I looking too much into it here? What do you guys think? No, No. I I agree. I agree with you. And – Especially the Lois was the part that I was surprised about because it just – it's like a classic uh, failure of the Bechdel test where like the, the female characters in this book are only meant to reflect Superman back at himself. And granted, the book is about the Superman mythology, so it feels like it is focused on that. 
But I would think that you would want a little bit more, especially the one where Lois, the other two, Atlas and um, the other dude, Samson, yeah, are like, we're going to get this woman. I was like, come on. I wanted her to to win in the end, and I was surprised that it did Yeah, it's it's also tough because we've seen so many more uh, iterations of Lois where she's really tough and a badass, and, you know, uh, that's one of the things you like about her. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think... You know, she is muted and a little bit more sexualized than normal in this book. Um, but I was just talking about, like, their relationship. No, this um, isn't well, lumping on you at all. No, no, I know. No. I'm just, and I will say the reveal of when she when he reveals himself to her as Clark and Superman are the same person. I thought that was great. And it was they get a nice romantic moment in the in the book in the series as well. But I, I, I agree. It does feel a little bit dusty. I guess mm-hmm. I would say, and maybe it's a product of the time, or maybe it was a deliberate choice to really have this be like, you know, like Greek, a Greek myth doesn't explore any other character besides mm-hmm. whatever the, the featured character is. So, Well, that's what I was going to jump off of a little bit to contradict what I was saying, or, or at least, again, throw it out at you guys. Clearly, Lex Luthor gets a lot of time. He goes on a whole arc at Journey, which we could probably talk about in a moment over the course of the book. Superman is very much the focus. Are there other characters, though, that get more of their due, would you say, in this book than Lois does? I mean, Jimmy gets his due in the one issue that focuses on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to your point about it being like a 12 labors, like I, I think if that's the reference, then I think that tracks that you don't get. Everyone sort of gets their thing. Uh, and that brings up a point I want to talk about. The Bizarro issues are bizarre to me. Uh, <laughs> in this run, they feel like like so much focus is put on them. We get two issues there as opposed to one. I would have rather had one fine. And maybe I'm a little biased. I'm not, Bizarro's yeah, not my favorite thing. Bizarro, yeah. I think it's fine. It, it's just not my favorite thing. The fact that two issues are dedicated to it. I was like, go do another Superman thing. There are so many other Superman things you could do. Uh, I hate Bizarro. I, I yeah. can't, I just can't do it with the backwards language. It bothers oh, me every wow. time. It's just a thing in my brain where I cannot process it properly and it drives me totally nuts. Beautifully drawn issues and incredibly paced out uh, for anybody who doesn't quite remember them. The first issue is there's a attack of Bizarro's on Earth and ultimately Superman ends up on this Bizarro world where he meets Zibaro who is the smart Bizarro, who has been ostracized by the rest of Bizarro society. And the second issue follows as Superman realizes he's losing all of his powers the longer he spends on this Bizarro world and basically makes this long trek. I don't know if we're going to go with the mythology thing. It's probably him being led out of hell, right? Most likely. Uh, Yeah, that's a good call, like an Orpheus sitch. Well, and particularly because Zabaro is a poet, which Orpheus is a poet too, right? Probably yeah. should have looked this up beforehand. He's often carrying a lute. There you go. That's how classic poet <laughs> prop. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they bond with him. I mean, I'm, jumping back to the note we were talking about earlier, Zabaro gets more of an emotional resonance, I think, than Lois, who is Truth. mostly baby crazy through most of this. She's like, "Oh man, I'm never gonna have babies with Superman. I'd love to have babies with Superman. Babies, babies, babies." Also, but, garbage pizza. Yes. Garbage pizza? What? Yeah. Zabaro's? Not good. No. Uh, <laughs> my favorite pizza place in New York. It's my favorite place to get a slice. Oh, see, oh, now you're speaking garbage. You're speaking bizarro about yeah, pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me am loves Zabaro. 
oh god, I hate it so much. <laughs> but they are beautifully written and beautifully drawn, and the way that it goes over the course of the issue with Superman just getting weaker and weaker and ultimately dragging himself to this very cartoon rocket where he's shot back to Earth is very fun. But I agree with you. Why do you think Grant Morrison spends two issues on this Bizarro arc when there's a limited amount of space in this miniseries? I think Grant loves Bizarro. And I also think it's a classic Grant Morrison thing of, yes, you know Bizarro, but what about Zibaro? Like having <laughs> the extra turn and a little bit of a gimmick on it. And this series, it's great, and it's obviously been honored, but it is very gimmicky. It take, Each issue has its gimmick, its thing, its little Superman trick that we're pulling. And they're great. And they're, they've, they've, it's not even a negative. It's just like there's a little bit of a game to it, like the the mysterious Superman, and then we get the revolution uh, uh, revelation of who it actually is, and it's really mm-hmm. resonant and heartfelt. But it's it's a little like M Night Shyamalan rug pull, and I think the Zibaro is that for for Grant, I think here, and that's why it, it warrants the extra time and the reveal of the um, opposite Justice League in the second issue. I agree with you. Uh, they should have Prince and the Revolution in one of the issues instead of two of <laughs> The <Wow>. Flash, <laughs> though, on Bizarro World, being the slowest person on the world, and just slow motion snail running to bring them the match that eventually blows out at the last second. The whole thing's like a cartoon. Like, it's a ridiculous yeah. cartoon the entire yeah. time. Uh, this did remind me of something that Pete said much earlier, though, about... Grant Mortis, Morrison reining themselves in on this book. And that was another big thing that struck me on this read-through, is that you have these very typical Grant Morrison-y flourishes, like a guy named Professor Quinton who wears a rainbow suit and explores the underverse that is sucking our planet in, and all of these other things that are like huge ideas that they're throwing in, like you were talking about, Justin, all these dense philosophical and scientific, pseudo-scientific terms in the middle of it. But the way that it's written here, it almost feels tossed to the side is the wrong way to say it, but it's not as important. It's It's funny the way that he puts all of these dense details in there. They don't overwhelm the emotional story that you're telling over the course of the book. And that's better. I think that's I, when Grant Morrison is better. Yeah. When it's not the folk, the like carnival of ideas isn't the the driving force of any issue. That some of the crisis stuff it gets to be like, like I love that there's a ship, spaceship made of music in uh, Final Crisis, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, the fact that we had to we wrote on it a lot, we had to hear about it a lot, it got destroyed, and they had built a new one. I was like, yeah, give me something to hold on to here, but then that's made of something besides music. Well, it's sort of. This is probably the wrong thing to mention, but it's sort of the original Star Wars rule of like, just throw it in these details here. If you pay attention to them, you're interested in them. Like, hey, who's Job of the Hutt? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. Uh, what's going on with this Boba Fett guy? He just looks cool. It's good. And the more you explain it, the more you spend time in it, usually the less interesting it becomes. And I think that's what works here because Professor Quinton, you don't need to know like, it's this is jumping over to another book, but it's not and spoilers for new X-Men, which, by the way, as a little note, because the Superman thing got turned down, Grant Morrison jumped over to Marvel to do Marvel Boy, which led directly to new X-Men, which oh. ultimately led him off Marvel and back to D.C., 
uh, them off Marvel and back to CC. So it's this whole cycle here. But in New X-Men, there's this whole trick with this character called Zorn, who you think is a good guy. And ultimately, big spoiler, turns out to be Magneto and one of the best like mic drops, I think, in comic book history. And I definitely keep even knowing that Professor Quentin is not you read this and you're like, who's Professor Quentin really? What's going on? Yeah. He's Lex Luthor or something. But he's not. He's just a guy wearing a rainbow suit, being wild and exploring science. Hey, here's the thing, though. I think it is someone that uh, it's a reason why this is a side character, not the main character. I think it's Graham Morrison. Mm. And it's too much to put to write yourself into the main character in a Superman book. So I, I think that's why uh, Quentin stays on the side. That's fair. I mean, that gets into one of the questions that I wanted to discuss here, and we can certainly get more into the minutiae of the issues as we go. But is this Grant Morrison's most personal book? Mm. And the reason I mentioned this, you mentioned the thing, uh, which I didn't know. You said his father passed away before yeah. he wrote this? Yep. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. So there you go. So that definitely plays into the Pa Kent issue. Oh, yeah. That's a big part of, yeah. Great. Feel free to not elaborate. So in that issue, what happens <laughs> is Superman is visited by three not He's ghosts. talked about it in interviews. We're doing a podcast. We're imparting information onto the people who listen. Why don't you get this? I don't understand. Okay. So, co- so Coy Pete. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to tell. <laughs> oh, yes. So in this issue, what happens is Superman is on the Kent farm. He's in Smallville. He ends up being visited by three Supermans, ostensibly from different eras, who say they're just coming to visit him. But as it turns out, they're fighting this chrono monster that eats time. And what we find out at the end of the issue is that the chrono monster eats five minutes of Superman's time, which is the five minutes. It's during- actually three minutes. Weird. Three minutes. Not to be overly corrected, oh, sure. but yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> three minutes where Pa Kent has a fatal heart attack and dies. So they're trying to oh. stop that, but it is gut-wrenching. It is so sad at the end. And after this issue, exactly what we're talking about, where you have a mystery Superman, you have a Superman that is from the fifth dimension, you have a golden Superman, and you have this monster with just arms and legs and a cloud going over Smallville and spitting out and eating things. It's this quiet gut punch at the end, and that's the thing that matters. And uh, to your point, yeah, I mean, you could definitely feel it there. The big thing that I was getting at in terms of most personal book that ties into the Dr. Quentin thing is after this book, Grant Morrison came out as non-binary, in their own words, non-binary cross-dressing genderqueer. And I do think that plays a lot into exploring these different aspects of Superman throughout the book. Uh, do you think that there's anything there? Uh, interesting. I mean, I, I that's, I think, more of a personal question for Grant. It's hard to say. I mean, because like you said, Grant talks about the different aspects of Superman as as directly a part of the like Krypton, Earth, a man of two homes, and then the different ways in which he sort of wears a mask. So that could be just Superman-based. Uh, but it, to your point, like it's just tough to, to. I don't see Grant in that. I see mm-hmm. their idea there. 
That's fair. Do you have any take on that, Pete? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that's very tough and very personal. I don't live inside Grant's head. Yes, you see. do. You you live there rent-free, yeah. I believe. Uh, but I can see <laughs> I the mean, parallel. I mean, I'd also say if you ask Grant Morrison, they'd definitely say, yes, we all live inside of my head. And, uh, <laughs> we're yeah. all parts of the same fish brain that's flying through the universe. I mean, I can see the parallels that you're drawing there, and it makes uh, uh, some sense. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, I'll throw it out to I you. In say, the yeah, go ahead. Well, just one more thing, because um, like I was saying, it feels like the grant of this book isn't Superman. The grant is is Dr. Quentin. And it's more about being sort of a Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like Grant's the one who like they're the candy man. They bring all the different flavors together to be this book that is... Well, and to your point, what Dr. Quentin is trying to do over the course of the entire book in a very altruistic way is figure out what makes Superman Superman. How does Superman work? How can we preserve Superman for the future? And part of that is studying Superman as much as possible and ultimately... They don't specifically say this, but you know what's happening. After Superman dies at the end of the book, or seems to die we get a big door that has turned the S symbol into two. And we're not getting a sequel to All-Star Superbad, but I think that does point to Grant Morrison as the writer, but also all comic book creators always creating the sequel, creating the Forever story, even when the story ends, even when you have the whole 12 mm-hmm. labors it keeps going. So I think that definitely points to your theory that Dr. Quentin is Grant Morrison. Do you think the two means there's going to be a red and blue Superman coming next? Oh, I hope so. Well, jumping onto that point, just because we're talking about it right now, there was talk about having three spin-off one-shots that never came to fruition. Do you think they should ever do a sequel to All-Star Superbad? Uh, I feel like someday this title will be used again, but I don't think it'll be a sequel. It's it's very hard to replicate this. It feels like a once... like it, even though the comics are a forever story where we're all just dipping back and pulling things forward. I, I do think it, you're asking for trouble to be like, I'm going to do the next one of those. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I tell you what, I mean, it would be interesting. Uh, you know, a, a lot of time has passed. If you get the same team um, to see what else they might say now or how they might say some, some things differently. Um, I, I would love uh you know, anytime Frankie Q is on a project, uh, I am there because uh, it's some some unbelievable art. So, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see if they would tell a completely different story or if they might update it or uh, what they would do. But I would love to have that team uh, doing Superman again in, in a way that uh, would make them want to do it for sure. So Just, I, mm-hmm. I like that idea in terms of them coming back for a new story now, because like Grant Morrison said, Superman is reinvented every 15 years or so. And we're well past that point. So wow. like you're saying, what would, what would they have to say now? I do think, yeah, that, I don't need a sequel, but now that we're talking about it, I think it would be interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about Lex Luthor. We mentioned this earlier, but he Boo. is, Oh, no, this is uh, like a, never mind. I was about to make a Jewish joke. Um, the <laughs> Jewish holiday joke, there's on Purim, you go boo for common, but it's way too involved oh, wow. to explain what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that's a Purim story, so don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, <a> deep cut. <laughs> yeah, deep cut. In any case, 
Lex Luthor is the other major character in the story. Like, I think if there is a number two character, it's Lex. He goes on this journey over the course of it. He's in prison most of the time. He's gloating over destroying Superman. And as much as Grant Morrison explores Superman, he pushes on the idea that is really stuck with Lex Luthor over the intervening years that Lex could help humanity if he just stopped trying to destroy Superman for a second. Like, but he, but will he? Probably never will. Maybe he will. That's I mean, this is a, left with this. Yeah. He has a real moment in this, you know, where he kind of realizes, uh, you know, what he could have done. So it's this is what I like to see from Lex is Lex, uh, you know, getting a perspective change or at least kind of uh, having some pause or him considering himself uh, uh, to do better. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff, uh, because the, him just being an evil dick all the time gets old. Well, what's great about the structure here is that Lex thinks that he's won from the jump, like yeah. out of the gate, a winner. Cause then you get that great story in the middle with Clark visiting Lex in jail, where Lex is being so cocky and everything he needs to know is right in front of his face, but he can't see it because he's too uh, self-obsessed. And that that issue, I think, really stands out as the perfect yeah. Lex Luthor story with Clark saving his life. Uh, Lex not even understanding what's going on. He calls himself a genius over and over again, and he's just dumb. He's blind to what's around him. And that's his fatal flaw and what eventually gets him in the end here. I love that issue. And I love yeah. the portrayal of Lex Luthor over the course of this series. It's funny. Like, it's a, it's a funny yeah. how boastful and arrogant he is. But things like the very beginning when Superman is trying to save everybody on the sun, but there's this monster on the spaceship that Lex is piloting from, I believe, nine minutes ahead because of the amount of the time the signal takes. So playing out that scene where he's shouting stuff and then several pages later we hear the monster shouting it so that it actually links up. It plays to Lex's super intelligence but it's also very funny and a fun action sequence at the same time. Uh, one thing that occurred to me while we were talking about this and I should have jotted down the order of the issues but is the Lex Luthor issue directly before the two Bizarro issues? Is that how it works? So it's Yeah, like it's definitely before, yeah. Okay, so if they are directly before to throw out at you, a lot of the prison issue is Superman following Lex into this descent into hell where you literally end with them going below the jail cell where he's used music to hollow out stairs until the Superman or as Clark Kent ends up in this boat being ferried by Nasty as essentially, I always pronounce this wrong, but Charon the ferryman. So yeah. if that's him descending into hell, going down the river into hell, and then like we talked about, the bizarro thing is him crawling his way out of hell, led by Orpheus, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that feels that feels deliberate, yes. Yeah. Uh, but the Lex stuff is great. What did you think about, you talked about this a little bit, Pete, but what did you think about his revelation at the end? Do you think Lex has the capacity to change? Well, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that I've always wanted. You know what I mean? For Lex, it's this thing of like, you're so smart. It would be nice if one time your intelligence led you to a path of 
you know, trying to do better in this world, trying to, instead of trying to rule it and destroy it, uh, you know what I mean? So uh, this is kind of a, a really powerful moment uh, that I, I was happy to see Lex have. It really was, you know, sometimes you're like, I don't trust it, I don't buy it, but, uh, you know, it, it really felt genuine in this and felt pretty cool. Wow. Uh, I just, I mean, I don't think Lex will ever change. It's just a core. He can't lose to Superman. Uh, he can't lose to anybody, and Superman is the ultimate rival for him. Came out of nowhere, isn't part of his plan, and is altruistic to a fault, something Luke's, Lex can never be. Uh, so any time they take someone like Lex and make them good, I feel like it's it's such a hard, it's like over in uh, Spider-Man right now, Norman Osborn is currently good, and it's like... The tension is just always like every issue is like, are you sure? Are you sure, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's like when they try to make Sabretooth good for a little while. I'm, I never buy it. Uh, so I can understand what you're saying. But I just think that like there is something to Lex Luthor that me is always rooting for him to not – not be so evil, so I don't know. Well, that's what Superman is doing the entire yeah. time. I mean, he's... he spends so much time with him. You know what I mean? Like, even when he's dying, he's still spending some of his last moments with this person who's trying to destroy him. It would be nice if maybe that had an impact one time. Well, it does know? have an impact in terms of that's where we leave Lex in the book, right? right. Like, yeah. In terms of the comic book forever story, of course he's going to go back. I always think about the thing in 1602 that Neil Gaiman wrote about the Fantastic Four or Reed Richards and the thing are talking. And the thing says, do you think you might be able to turn me back human? And Reed Richards says, well, I'll certainly try, but I believe the problem, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I believe the problem is that you're just so much more pleasing the way you are. And that's Neil Gaiman being like, yeah, as many times as we try to change these characters, the way they were formed is so iconic and so true to them that you're always going to go back to that, you know? Yeah. So, yes, yeah. if you had an all-star Superman 13, Lex is going to go bad again. That's just what's going to happen. But I love the fact that we get to a place where exactly what you were saying, Pete, that Superman, until the end, he, he doesn't beat the crap out of Lex Luthor and win – he talks to him and he changes him on a basic level, is on a cellular level, the Which same is way. Amazing. Yeah, the same way that Superman himself has been changed. It leads to Superman dying and it leads to Lex for the first time really living. So that's where you get that opposite there. Damn, and it's man. such a well, it's such a Damn. genius way of working it out. And it points to the way that Grant Morrison really thinks about these things. There's one big thing that we haven't talked about yet, which we probably should have talked about first, because it comes first in the book. And I would argue, out of everything we've talked about, this is absolutely the most impactful on the comic book form part of this entire book, and that is the first page. The mm. first page, which is the origin story of Superman, instead of going through the whole thing, in four panels, we break down doomed planet, desperate scientists, last hope, elderly couple – and then we cut to a two-page spread of Superman flying in front of the sun. That's all you need to know. You don't need to get more complicated than that. And we've read thousands of comic books since then. And constantly, people are trying to reproduce that page in different ways for different yeah. comic books. Probably to less success, but 
it's this thing where you read it and you know everything you need to do so about Superbad in four panels with the minimal amount of text. And honestly, I would argue it's a little TMI on elderly. Like, <laughs> I think cool it a little bit. Decrepit? Would you use decrepit? No, oh, I, come on, man. Yeah. If I were do if I were editing this, I mm. would throw uh, childless as the better word for elderly because they're not. When I think of the Kents, I don't think of them as elderly at the jump. They're N- they living death. their lives. They're living their lives because <laughs> they they're old later after they raise their their uh, Krypton kid. So I I think that's that. When I read that, I was like, elderly, get off them. They're nice <laughs> because the whole thing was they couldn't like. They didn't have kids or couldn't have kids. There's right. certain stories have different takes on it. And so this was like a gift from from God. And then it happened to be this child with powers far beyond the powers Christ of normal humans. That. Yeah. 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 yeah I, that's a, that is a fair edit. But as is, I think you get the gist anyway by only using eight words and four paddles. And I think that is a phenomenal achievement that they did there. Yeah. Do you think, I know this is impossible to separate for us, but I was clearly struck by that and thought, oh my God, that's all you need to know. Just imagining for a second, somebody who, even though everybody on the planet knows who Superman is, imagining somebody who's like, I'm somebody who knows literally nothing about pop culture. I've never heard of Superman. I have no idea what comics are or anything. Do you think it would still work for them, that first page? No, I think we like it because we know it and We've this heard it hits so many it. Times. This yeah. hits the high points and doesn't, uh, you know, it's like the six word story or whatever. Um, the Hemingway, was it six, four, uh, baby shoes, for sale baby shoes never worn yet. Uh, so it's like, it, it's that for us where we know the larger story and can really get the smaller. smaller yeah, because I could just I, see I bloody more. pearls in an alleyway and I know exactly what's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. just to, to say another note, it would be really interesting to do these panels, but instead they replace the text with for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And then the mm. fourth one, maybe still elderly couple, I think. Oh, <laughs> stop with the elderly. <laughs> well, yeah, no wonder Pa can't have to die because he was oh, already man. pushing 70, according to <laughs> Don't, don't. <laughs> well, anyway, it's a great page. It's a great book. Before we move on to the movie speculation, any other moments or notes from the book that you wanted to mention in particular? I just, uh, I can't talk about it enough, but the art is just... Uh, it was it's such an interesting way to see Superman uh, through this art and uh, the looks on his face, the the just the different perspectives. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful book and uh, just some of the most powerful panels uh, in comics. I mean, the only other thing I, I guess I would say, and if, if we haven't, uh, if you have space for it, is this would be like a great movie. All right. All right. We'll move on. (laughs) I was just going to mention in terms of the art real quick. uh, We called about earlier, but Jamie Grant's colors, this book would not work without them. You know, thinking specifically of those first couple of pages, the shot, the double page shot of Superman flying in the sun. That's mostly sun. That could just be like yellow and that's it. But it's not yellow. It's richer and it just feels like this incredible lived in world. All of the characters pop in different ways. Steve Lombard, fantastic character in here and very funny. I know I mentioned Cat Grant doesn't get a lot of time, but she jumps out in a big way. Jimmy Olsen uh, is very fun as well. So just a great world to live in. Fave issue of the series, real quick. Mm. Ooh. I don't know. I think I like I, that Lex Luthor issue because 
having the prison, the prison, having Clark the entire time do that thing that we were talking about earlier, where he's just clumsy, but saving people the entire time and using his super bad powers to keep Lex safe while Lex does not realize it's him. It's this balancing act of a story that is so fun to read. It just dives in on exactly who Superbad is, exactly who Lex is. It plays on a comedy level of like crazy bad, straight bad too, of Superbad being the straight bad who just gets more and more frustrated with Lex over the course of the issue while Lex is just kind of doing his thing. Love it. Pete, do you have a favorite one? I got to say 12 uh, just because of the... The, the power. The sun thing. Yeah, just the way it kind of like wraps up and does. Solaris versus the baby sun eater. I do like how the baby sun eater comes back. That's very fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Justin, what about you? You asked it. Do you have a favorite issue? Uh, yeah, I would go uh, the Pa Kent. Uh, I think that's like mm, five yeah. or six. Uh, it's just great. No, five is the prison issue, the one that you like, Alex. Um, but it's right around there. And that one just. Great action, great Superman uh, core stuff, and just a great twist and reveal and heartfelt, and everything is working really well. Yeah, it's the sixth issue. Funeral in Smallville. Excellent. Excellent issue as well. Definitely check out this book. Let's move to the movie talk. So as we mentioned earlier, Superman Legacy is coming up in 2025. I think it's still dated for that as we're taping that. We know that James Gunn is writing the movie and directing the movie. He was at the very least signed to write it before he even got hired as the chief of DC Studios that, uh, as we speculated on earlier podcasts, is probably part of the reason he got hired was his take on Superman. And he's talked about it quite a bit. I wanted to read some quotes from him on it, specifically referring to the book. Uh, this is from an interview, I believe, with Slash Film, where he was talking about this. He said, it's not an origin story. It focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. Superman represents truth, justice, and the American way. He is kindness in a world that thinks of kindness as old-fashioned. And then he continues to say, I really love the idea of Superman. He is a big old galoot. He's a farm boy from Kansas who's very idealistic. His greatest weakness is that he'll never kill anybody. He doesn't want to hurt a living soul. I like that sort of innate Until goodness. he snaps necks. Hold on. I like that sort of innate goodness about Superman. It's his defining characteristic. He's not the all-star Superman version of the character. But again, I'm a huge fan of all-star Superman, and I'm very inspired by that comic book series. Um, and Interesting he, line in the sand there. Yeah, well, he said the same thing when he initially – this happened after he had tweeted out four books that he was taking as inspiration. That tweet said, we've talked a lot about Woman of Tomorrow, but these are more of the comic books inspired DC Studios and the new DCU in these early days. That doesn't mean we're adapting all these comics, but that the feel, the look, or the tone of them are touchstones for our team. Check them out. So, Justin, you've been bursting at the seams to talk about Superman Legacy and what this means for the movie, so take it away. Well, I feel like because if I'm I think James Gunn as a writer likes some structure or some superstructure to his stories to give him like just a starting point as um, working through the creative on something. And I think this book is a really interesting way to come at a Superman movie from another angle. And that would be having him be having Lex's plan come to fruition at the beginning of the movie where Superman's life is, is threatened. He's dying and he has to go deal with some stuff. 
Uh, so that's really cool. I think that would be a great superstructure for the movie uh, that they they could use to do so much. And the other thing about the series I think really works is the the standalone issues dealing with everything. Like it's so easy to pull one of these into the first act, one into the second, where you have the lowest reveal, a Jimmy Olsen segment. You can just drop these, have the fun that you have with them as you're telling the larger story of Superman reckoning with who he is, a man of two worlds. I do think that's very interesting to think about Superman, and, and I think you mentioned this before, that the title being called Superman Legacy because he is thinking about what he's leaving to the world, particularly if he's dying. Like James Gunn has said, and I do think this is a lesson that he's going to take from Marvel, frankly, which is, let's Frank take the quietly. bones of the thing. What? What's <laughs> Frank, quietly. Yes. Yeah, frankly is short for Frank Quietly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Frankly Quietly. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, what we've talked a lot about with Marvel movies on other podcasts is that they take the bones of the comics and then figure out what's going to work on screen. So I don't think we'd see a direct adaptation of All-Star Superman. But like he's talking about here, like you're talking about here, I think it would be interesting if he's already an established Superman He's already been Superman for a while. This is not an origin story. And then you jump into it with, like you're saying, Lex is the villain. Superman is dying. How does he deal with that? How does he leave the world? Um, I also think, based on what he's saying and what he's talked about other places as well, about him being like a man out of time in a certain way, or not in step with the time, that you do get this very Christopher Reeve-esque portrayal of Superman here, I don't know if they're going to go full Brady bunch on it where you have like a gee whiz type Superman and then everybody's like, get the fuck out of here, Superman. But you could have some of that tension in a certain way where the rest of the world is the world. Like imagine, if you will, the current DCEU world, which is like very serious and very gritty. And then you throw Christopher Reeve into the middle of that. What would that tension be like? I think it could be the only thing with that is that that would be a little bit like Shazam, Mm. the movies. And so I would wonder if they would want to back into that type of because that's sort of a a comedic take and something they could play a ton of different ways. But to me, it gets close to Shazam in a way that especially with the second movie not doing so well, feels a little risky for them. But uh, we shall see because that's definitely in the book. Uh, And if that's going to be in the movie, that's a whole that makes sense. Pete, what's your take on this? What, if anything, would you want them to take from All-Star Superman and put on screen if they're not doing a direct adaptation? I would hope that they tried to capture some of the art style and some of the... um, That's the one thing they're not going to do. They're definitely not doing that. I hope they do. I hope they do. I also hope they try to capture some of Superman's smallness, like when you see his knees and he's kind of wrapped his arms around i mean he just looks so small in that you know like i i think it's you're talking about the cover to issue one right yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's just one of those things where uh you know not showing superman is a strong thing but as somebody who um is so human he is just more uh, more human than human no i just think uh, it's one of those things where i love the fact that this book explores Superman as, you know, there's a timeline of what he's trying to do and you get to kind of see all these different sides of him in these different windows and diff- how he acts differently in, in front of different people, you know, how he acts 
with Lois versus Luther and, you know, even the kids. Yeah. I mean, the it's touching an important stuff difference. The, yeah, it's a huge difference. But I mean, because one is your partner and one is your worst right, enemy. Right, right. But so also, like. Makes sense you don't kiss both of them the same way. Right. But well, I'm just saying that. Some like, of my fanfic, they do. I mean, him with the children. Pete, specifically, you know, I'm sorry. Those kids in the hospital. I mean, just unbelievable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, wait. I was going to mention something about what Pete said, but I did want to call out. I completely forgot about the page, which is, uh, other than the first page, I think the best, most impactful page of the book, which is the one where we have a therapist. If you keep saying these pages are the most impactful, it's going to lose the power of it because you keep naming pages. You know what I mean? It's the one where he goes to the girl who trigger warning here, but is about to commit suicide. And oh, my God. That... Oh, and he tells her, that. wait, no, your therapist really was delayed. He's not going to yeah. be there for you. There's always hope. Uh, I'm definitely horribly baggling what he says there. But that one page is stunning and beautiful oh. and emotional and a piece of art. And I've seen it shared so many places with people who are considering suicide or having suicidal ideation. Um it means something to the world that it exists. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The other thing that I was going to say, uh, slightly less seriously than that, I know you were laughing at Pete for mentioning the cover of issue one, Justin, but the thing that's kind of interesting about it is that image is what inspired Grant Morrison to write the book. He tells this story. They tell the story. Keep doing that. I'm sorry. Uh, They tell the story about being at San Diego Comic-Con Wandering outside one of the hotels, I'm blanking on which one, I think the Bayfront or something like that, at 2 a.m. and seeing a Superman cosplayer sitting on the steps like that. And Mm. immediately, Grant Morrison describes it as having this shamanistic quality, because of course they do, but said it came in a rush realizing, oh, that's who Superman is. Grant Morrison ran back to their hotel room and jotted down 20 pages of notes about if you're Superman... What does it feel like to never have to worry about cold or never have to worry about a breeze or anything that you just be calm and just be there and just experiencing things? And so that led, I believe, to Superman now, the thing that got scuttled and that eventually hold on to that image to work with Frank Quitely on for the cover to one. So good identifying, Pete. That is what kicked off the whole thing. That's great. Uh, I was laughing because, Pete, the things you loved that you said you loved about it were literally what the animated movie is. And you should definitely check that out. Oh, cool. Because it's the artwork (laughs) and it's uh, tiny feet, tiny legs. Just to sort of wrap this up here, I think the big thing that I I don't remember saying I love tiny legs, but okay. You said you love tiny legs. Uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to see exactly what James got to say. The tone of this book, the heroism of Superman, a character who always tries and strives to do the right thing, no matter what, to a fault. I'm very excited to see that. That's something that we haven't really seen on screen in the right way. I'm really hopeful that he can bring that out and make this feel like the ultimate Superman movie or the all-star Superman movie, even if it doesn't exactly ape the plot. So... I'm nervously anticipating for it. Uh, nervously anticipating for it. Uh, I'm a, I just said it wrong twice. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You are excited. You're giddy right now. I, 
Because well, I love Superman, man. I love Superman, and I want to see a good Superman on screen. That would make me so yeah. happy. The only thing I would say uh, in response to that is the, some of the things that they, I think, they should not bring from the book into the screen is the the end, obviously, where Superman enters like full mythology form. If anything, I think what Superman needs a little bit in the the feature film world is to be demythologized, mm. mythologicalized. However, that is being <laughs> don't said. worry, we'll edit all this stuff when we do our ADR afterwards. Yeah, ADR demythologized, where we actually get to make Superman human a little bit. This book mm. was making elevating him to godlike status, and I think we need Superman to be humanized, whether it's at the beginning or in the final point. Uh, humanize or like because if he's between two worlds if he's finally as like i'm i'm just regular i'm a human here i'm here i'm gonna be a person Uh, i'm gonna disagree with that a little bit and this gets into maybe a bigger discussion about the mythology of superman but one of my things i think about superman is you will never be superman you in the audience Uh, let's just see okay yeah we'll see Eat a lot I'm of working on some stuff. Happens. Yeah, exactly. No, but here's the thing. People talk about this sometimes, and I think there's a lot of arguing about it. Obviously, we're starting to argue about it here. But I think one of the big things about Superman is you will never be Superman. You will never be as strong as Superman. You will never have the powers of Superman. You will never be as good as Superman. But the point is we try. He is the ultimate hero to inspire us to do better and try as best as we can with whatever powers we have. It isn't about bringing him down to our level. It's about us trying to rise to his. And I I do think it errs towards God a lot of the time, like you're saying, like you're responding to. And I agree with you with that. We don't need the godlike imagery or him to become a deity or join with the stars or anything like that. That's not what's important. But if it is something where you have this dirty, messed up world that Superbad is in, it eventually moving a couple of inches in his direction, that's what I want to see. I want to see him inspire people to be better and do better in the way that the best heroes do. Right. Like Ted Lasso. <laughs> so you want a you want a oh. Superman with a mustache is what you're getting at. Oh, yeah. Man, we yeah. almost had one. They had to digitally remove it. That's oh, his. That's how uh, close they got. You know, when Ted's being that kind of like, you know, that's his Clark Kent. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. I lost the. Track. I feel like are you on another podcast right now? It sounds yeah. like you yeah. might be. <laughs> sort of lasso cast. Yeah, uh, I take your point, but I just think so much of Superman has been. Uh, elevating him and it being about like how like the saw the Snyder take is I'm we I think we need to especially when Superman's goals are to be human like yeah, I think human. to to become Clark Kent in some ways I feel like is a lot of what Superman wants to be or the the kid from Smallville like I would like to see more of that rather than always moving away from that mm-hmm I can agree with that. Uh, Listen to all of you out there. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We're going to have plenty more required reading episodes. We're also going to jump back and forth with some rewatch episodes for movies as we lead into the various other DC movie movies that are coming out. And eventually the James Gunn movies, fingers crossed. Yeah. See what happens in the meantime. Hopefully. If you like, support, they're, working on stuff. they're working, they're on, working stuff. on stuff. They're working on stuff. Absolutely. They just uh, officially announced that James Mangold 
is going to be writing and directing the Swamp Thing movie. That's pretty cool. So he's working cool. on that. We'll see what happens. Finally. Love to see a Swamp Thing. Mm. Can't wait for this Blue Beetle movie. Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to talk about that as well. So keep tuning in and subscribing. In the meantime, you can support us at patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about the DCU, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. Subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Dad, you're the all-star dad. Oh, Dad, boy. Dad, you have tiny legs. Yeah, but you got, though, the, the all-star, you know, kind of like at the end, right? You know, because he, like, kind of became a star in the sun. I mean, so, right? Man, you're really oh. trying to get your name off the chore wheel. I, I can see what's happening. Ah, I'm not doing he, the dishes. 